Master Skywalker, there are too many. Swear words. What are we going to do? <laughs> Terrific. This show contains some adult language and may not be suitable for younglings. Hello there. He's no good to me dead. We're fine. We're all fine here now. How are you? I think you'll fill in nicely. This is where the fun begins. Hello. And thank you for joining us for news, reviews, and interviews from your favorite galaxy far, far away. My name is Pat, but don't call me Padawan. Collins. Oh, it seems that my co-hosts are away this week. As discussed, this is a previously recorded episode for our May the 4th celebration episode this week. Thank you again so much for tuning in with us. We got a great little re-show for some of our new listeners, perhaps. We used to do a lot more interviews with some cool folks uh, pre-last year, uh, or earlier on last year, rather. So uh, here is a couple highlights from um, those interviews that we'd done with uh, that Yoda guy, the guy who uh, helped create the puppet of Yoda himself. Um, We have Bruce Valanche as well, one of the creators of the Star Wars Holiday Special. Always good for a chuckle. And we have Mark Thompson, the audiobook wizard, uh, narrating some of our favorite audiobooks from Star Wars. And uh, we got some great impressions right at the end. One of our most popular Instagram clips is when he did his Grand Admiral Throne impression, ordering a quarter pounder with no cheese. So, hope you enjoy that. Uh, in the meantime, though, just a couple quick news little snippets. Um, Star Wars is coming to Fortnite. If you're a Fortnite fan or your kids are, like mine, um, then uh, you're going to see some lightsabers in the game. Hooray! That's cool. Moving on. Um, really, the biggest thing that I saw over the last week was the announcing of the panel for Star Wars Day in Anaheim 2022 uh, that is coming up in late May. I think it's May 26th to 28th. Uh, a couple highlights here. They have a lot of stuff uh, going on, but obviously a big push for the uh, the twentieth celebration, twentieth anniversary of Attack of the Clones. Oh my God, I can't believe it's been twenty years. I remember walking in my high school hallways and people talking about it. So, yikes, we are getting old. Um, and they're having a Summer of Star Wars Lego panel as well. They're having a Lucasfilm publishing panel behind the page. Um, they're also doing, and I'm not listing out all of these. I'm just listing out some of the, the highlights, I guess you could say 35 years of star tours adventures, uh, from the Disney parks there. Classic ride with Captain Rex before he was cap before Captain Rex was Captain Rex. I'll say that this Captain Rex on the star tours adventure. He had it first RX 24. Look it up. He's hilarious. Voiced by Pee Wee Herman as well. Um, anyway, moving along, it says, let's play Star Wars, a galaxy of tabletop games. Hey, I wonder if Good Morning Alderaan could make its way onto that. I bet you that'd be, I bet you we could do that with, uh, Wookiee of the Week. No? All right, moving along. Uh, behind the audiobook, making an audio original, Star Wars adventure. Uh, Nick Materielli, I don't see in here that our boy Mark Thompson is there. I wouldn't be surprised, though, if he made a little secret appearance. Uh, the next day, they have a conversation with John Favreau and Dave Filoni. I bet you we're going to get some pretty sweet uh, inside look at um, inside looks at maybe a sneak peek of season three. They got to be done filming by now, right? They started a long time ago. 
Uh, so fingers crossed, maybe we'll get a little snippet of that. Uh, cause we're, we're due folks. We're due for something. Hopefully something today comes out that, uh, uh, piques some interest for us. They also have, uh, tales of the Jedi. This is perhaps what I'm most excited to learn more about. It is a, uh, there's not much about it. It just says introducing tales of the Jedi animated anthology shorts hosted by Amy Ratcliffe with special guest Dave Filoni. Uh, if you Google it, there is some more information about this show tales of the jedi um so here it is tales of the jedi from uh ign.com uh tales of the jedi explained what is the animated anthology series so it takes place in and around the high republic i believe it is uh 4000 years before the era of the movies in a time when the ancient jedi uh, order is at war with the sith so that's pretty cool i think it even takes place i think i saw it somewhere 40 years before the Knights, uh, it is set roughly 40 years after the conclusion of Tales of the Jedi. Um, so Tales of the Jedi first, and then 40 years later is when Knights of the Old Republic, those classic video games, I still have them on my iPhone, both one and two. I think they're like eight bucks or something like that, or they were when I bought them. Definitely go check that out. It's great, great for, uh, you know, killing time on the toilet if you don't have a sweet Star Wars book on the go. Um, check that out. So, um, yeah, that's, uh, that's, pretty much all the main highlights there's some other stuff on starwars.com you can see uh, a little bit more information is there as well they have some they're talking about bad batch season two look back on star wars visions uh wonderful world of wookies even so it's some uh, pretty cool stuff uh behind the scenes the creatures of return of the jedi some old throwback stuff for the relics like me who love the og cell uh, the og series so um yeah it's gonna be awesome it's gonna be great may the fourth be with you hope your day kicks at least a million asses Always be a Jedi in the streets and a Sith in the sheets. All right, here's those interviews. Goodbye, everybody. Now, today, we are extremely blessed to be joined by someone who is at the very start of it all. He has worked on a total of 53 films, including Superman, Highlander, and Krull, but perhaps most notably for the sets on the sets rather of A New Hope and especially Empire Strikes Back, where he and his team created the aesthetic of dozens of alien creatures, and I'd say especially everyone's favorite green Jedi master. You may have heard of him, Yoda. Uh, he currently operates that Yoda Guy movie exhibit in conjunction with his amazing Follow Your Star Foundation on the beautiful Dutch side of the island of St. Martin of the Caribbean. Well, please help me welcome that Yoda Guy, Nick Maley. Nick, how are you today? I'm cool. You know, it's... Uh... It's like quarter to nine in the evening now, so you know it's it's how am I tonight, really? I think, but uh, <laughs> no, I'm fine. I'm fine. We'd we'd be regretful if we didn't talk about Yoda, um, okay? And your your experience working on Yoda and the opportunity to work on Yoda, how that came to be, um, and frankly, like where did the inspiration come for the character Yoda? Like where was the inspiration to design that character? Okay. Well, first and first and foremost, um, when you when you gave me such a wonderful glowing uh, introduction, you kind of made it sound like I, you know it was me and my team. I, it wasn't actually the case. I was part of Stu's team, so you know I was one of the guys. But right. uh, let me let me just uh, put that in proper context. When we started on the first Star Wars movie, I was the new kid in the in the creature workshop. Uh, 
And so no one trusted me to give me a solid character that was mine. I worked on bits of characters. So I made the eyes for a lot of right. the characters that are in the uh, Mos Eisley Cantina. These, uh, Stu had this concept of just putting like dark eyes over in shelves in... Um, in things that uh, so it was dark inside and you couldn't see the eyes of the people inside and so you'll see they don't have moving yeah. eyes they've just got kind of like bead eyes and um it was snowing outside um huh. it, it, we uh we had this cold snap and uh, you know this this we were using compressed um air and an oven and they had made a, a kind of little space for it maybe because they thought being a compressed tank it wasn't safe inside they had to put it outside so they've converted a a space that i think originally probably held three dustbins and um you know wow. and so no one else wanted to work outside so nick can go do that yeah, yeah let's, let's send him out. <laughs> send the new guy so that's how yeah so it's not really like i was so brilliant that they decided <laughs> I had to make all the eyes. It's just that no one else wanted to go out there. So, you know. You're then, doing the little um, jobs until you get the big job, right? You do the little jobs until right. you get the big jobs, yeah. I knew I was going to make uh, the skins for, for, for Yoda, and I uh, prepared all the molds for Yoda, and Stu and I poured Yoda's head. Um, I poured Yoda's ears and his hands and his feet because they weren't considered to be as important. I mean, it spent four, five months deciding what Yoda was going to look like. This was a, right. this was something of a nightmare. Um, we had <laughs> 10 months, we had 10 months to prepare instead of five weeks to prepare for the Mos Eisley Cantina. We had 10 months to prepare and, um, and film. So we had to, you know, I think it was considered three months of that was going to be filming. So we had seven months to prepare. And they spent five months deciding what Yoda was going to look like. <laughs> and so suddenly, you know, we were thrown into this sense of turmoil of now rush, rush, rush. Get, make the molds, do the stuff, make the skins, get the stuff out. Uh, Stu had his own little room instead of us all being in this one uh, you know, tiny room, and he was working on Yoda, and Yoda was his baby, and um, Graham and I were were building the Wampa, um, and uh, there was also the the head of the Tonton, animatronic head of the Tonton, that was in the main workshop, and we were doing life cast for Han Solo in Carbonite and other stuff. Oh, cool. And as soon as we started filming, Graham went down on set as the chief makeup artist. So Stu is a designer. He's in his room. Graham is down on the soundstage. I'm the most experienced guy left in the workshop. <laughs> you're, you're the head honcho all of a sudden. Right? Suddenly, you know, I'm not the new guy. We've got all these new guys come in, and they're all looking to me for me to tell them what they should be doing and how they should be doing it. Okay. So... Um, as they progressed and it had been deciding that Yoda was going to be a glove puppet and they started to talk to the Muppets about operating them and, and stuff like that, they suddenly got kind of insecure about the fact 
that they were never going to see Yoda's legs. Because if you think of the Muppets, you always see them from, you know, either the hips up or at best, you know, the, a long dress and the knees up, right? Mm -hmm. You oh, don't yeah. see Yoda's feet, work, you know, their feet working. Mm -hmm. And so they asked Stu if he could build a walking Yoda for a long shot. It's not really important, just for a long shot, so we can see him walking through the trees. Well, Stu was desperately trying to make a mechanism in the last two months uh, for the world's first animatronic superstar. No one had ever, ever made a, a major feature as a puppet in a full movie, in a big movie, right? No one had ever done that. And so he had a lot of pressure on him. So he was in his room, you know, working on that all the time. And he said, no, we, we don't have the staff we, uh, and we don't have the time to do it. You'll have to do something else. So who did they come to? They came to the guy who was running the workshop for him. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's me. Okay, <laughs> right. So, out of the frying pan, into the fire. Out of the frying pan, into the fire. And so they said... Do you can you figure out some way that you could make you know an animatronic walking um, Yoda? So I said, <laughs> not something yet. Else, something else. Something <laughs> else that is in my book. Something else that is in my book is um. Uh, sorry, I've lost track of what I was saying. Um, yeah, can you make a a a a, um, a, a walking Yoda? Um, you know, don't ever turn down an opportunity. You know, when an opportunity comes, you can honestly say, um, oh, God, if I try to do this and I fail, people will laugh at me. If I if I just play safe, I'll get through the job and they'll employ me on another job. If I try to do something outside the box and I fail, I'm going to be the guy who failed. And so fear is the self-doubt is the worst enemy that you have. You know, you, 100%. you people, 100%. people are scared of standing out in a crowd. Mm -hmm. Well, I say, if you don't believe in yourself, who the hell else is going to believe in you? Right. So I, I said, um, Excuse me, let me just ask you this. Why are we talking about animatronic walking Yodas? Because if Yoda is in the scene on his own and nobody knows how tall the trees are, he could be any height. Right. It's all about perspective. So why don't we take, why don't we do a, a false perspective make a, a oversized Yoda, put it on one of the little people, and guess what? His legs work. And we don't have to make mechanical anything. So huh. I, I, that was the first one that I did. Um, and they must have thought I was all right because they got their shot. It's the shot of Yoda walking through the trees, waving at, uh, at Luke to follow him. Right. And um wow. and so they thought I was okay. So finally, 
finally, we come down to uh, to filming Yoda, and um, they're filming in Yoda's hut. And um, Stu was trying to make a really complex, super lightweight mechanism that could be taken out of the out of the um, out of the skull, so that if there were any problems, it could just go in, take the skin off, unscrew it, pull it out, fix the problem, put it back in again, keep going. Um, but one of the, the complex issues, first and foremost, eyes looking left and right and up and down are a hell of a lot harder than eyes that look left and right. Eyes left and right is just like putting a pin through eyeballs and swiveling them one way or the other. Any, any, any third grader could probably figure that out. Um, trying to get eyeballs that look up and down, suddenly that eyeball's got to pivot from the center of the eyeball. Wow. And you're putting eyelids over it that are in a space that on the outside of Yoda's, between Yoda's eye and his skin, uh, the corner of his eye and his skin, it's like a quarter of an inch. And you're trying to put the eyeball in and the eyeball, the mechanism in, and then on top of that, Frank wanted his hand to pass through the middle of the mechanism so that he could get his middle finger to Yoda's eyebrows. <laughs> so the mechanism Jeez. had to have a big hole in the middle to do it. So Stu has made this mechanism wow. that was shaped like the top of Yoda's head and the, yeah, and the mechanism kind of went in a curved shape. I'm waving my arms around and people listening on radio <laughs> kind of understand what I'm doing. But, you know, it would go up into the dome of his head and then come back down to the eyes. So it left the area clear. And, uh, you know, he was he was working himself to death to try and get it ready on time. He went, Yoda went down on the set. And periodically, he would he would lock up. They're also trying to get used to the puppet, um, and so uh, you know we have uh, Mark talking about how he had to try and keep a straight face when Yoda would be doing some insane thing um, <laughs> because they hadn't got the controls right, or because the mechanism was breaking down. Well, certainly. And and so every time every time the mechanism seized up. And the and the puppet went out for two hours for Stu to take the skin off, take the mechanism out, unlock it, put it all back together again, put it back on again. You know, they were losing a lot of money. And so they came to that little guy in the workshop. <laughs> that Yoda guy. <laughs> that Yoda guy in the workshop. And, um, and they said to me, um, look, do you think you could build a backup Yoda? Um, you know, whatever you can make in three days. Um, because, you know, even if it's just got working ears, if it's just the shape of Yoda and it's got working ears, then we can shoot on the back of it and we can shoot on Mark. You look at the scene of Mark talking to Yoda. Yoda's not there most of the time, you know? Right. You just got a single. It's normal if two people are having a conversation. You look over the person's shoulder, so you see the person he's talking to. Yoda's not there most of the time. There's a right. couple of shots where he is. It's because the puppet was up in the workshop being unlocked <laughs> and brought, you know, brought down again. <laughs> so they said, you know, just get it to do whatever you can, but do it as quick as you can. 
Now, our guest today is perhaps one of Hollywood's most established jokesmiths ever. He is a six-time Emmy winner, a writer for the Oscars, yep, those awards, for 24 years, 14 of them as head writer. And on top of writing for those presenters and award winners, he's written jokes for dozens, if not hundreds of celebrities, even for presidents of the United States, and was even fortunate enough to write on the infamous 1978 Star Wars Holiday Special. Bruce Valanche, thank you so much for joining us today. Followed, followed by the Darth, Darth Vader theme. And we'd dun, 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 oh, like, we'd like to sing that when George came in the office. Oh, man. Like, I could, I could only imagine the shenanigans. The shenanigans, to say the least. It's there probably... were. Remember, it was 1978, so we were chemically altered. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, and I, I, I hate to say that anymore because uh, I've said it so many times that now I get the, uh, somebody sent me a review of the Lego special, uh, in which oh, they said, yes. "Well, it's so much better than the uh, uh, than the Star Wars special, which was written on a cocaine high by <laughs> Bruce Valanche." <laughs> you know, where she got that from? I mean, yeah, we did we did stuff. You know, I used to I joked that, uh, that Carrie Fisher and I snorted the sweet and low. We were, <laughs> You're going Colombian ski. No, I mean, we all know that Carrie had a, a real drug thing. I never had a drug thing. I mean, but I did what you did in those days, which was you had a, a, a like a cocktail every day. You had a joint or you had something every day. So I mean, there was it was fairly mellow, but uh, it wasn't like we were, you know. Chewing our our bicuspids down to you know a nub and writing this thing, it wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't like that. But uh, it was part of the atmosphere. I have to say. Well, the, yeah, I have a few. Go ahead. I was going to say I have a few things to say about whenever anybody asks me about the show. If you uh, if if you since you're going to right absolutely. Uh, uh, I have to say the first thing is that uh, uh, had we known that what we were doing would be talked about 45 years later, we might have paid closer attention. <laughs> Fair enough. It was it was just another one of those crazy television variety specials, and there were lots of them being done. I mean, I did Wayne Newton at SeaWorld, you know, with <laughs> where he sang to a killer orca. I mean, you know, there was like a lot of crap. I mean, it was it was network television uh, at its in its at last gasp of uh, being uh, exclusive. So, Can you find uh, that on YouTube, Wayne Norton singing to a killer orca? No, and I'm desperate to find it. I think he, <laughs> yes. I think he, he is like George Lucas, who who tried to kill every copy of the of Star Wars, and has has bots who are like constantly looking, you know, uh, trying to find uh, bootlegs and getting rid of them, you know, banishing them from the from the uh, internet. And I think that uh, that Wayne Newton has probably done the same thing. I think he's he's if Wayne Newton can be embarrassed by anything. It would be by that show. Singing a love ballad to uh, Shamu. <laughs> a love ballad to an orca, yeah. Shamu. <laughs> Free Willy, yeah. Wayne meets Shamu. Make some magic, kids. <laughs> so, uh, so that's that's one point. And the other point I have to make, and people get angry when I say this sometimes, is that a lot of people thought Star Wars was a load of crap. In 1978, it was a, a movie. Yeah. It was a summer movie. It was a phenomenon with stoners and kids. Because it was a great big blown up sci-fi movie, and it was like a Republic serial. It, it it used all of those tropes from the old 
Republic Studios Saturday matinees where you come back every week to see the next installment. He used all of that stuff. And people, a lot of people in the industry were not wildly impressed by it. Uh, which you'll, you'll see when you look at the, uh, the Oscar nominations that year, which so much of the technical stuff was nominated, but right. not so much of anything else. So, but I think it probably did get it best picture because it was such a, ph- a phenom. Uh, however, it had not, he, George had not started doing Empire yet. He was in pre-production on the Empire. So at the time, Star, that we did the show, Star Wars had not become Scientology of the nerds. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it it took three more three movies and decades of watching those movies over and over at home on VHS and later streaming and the internet before that occurred. By which time, people discovered the the Star Wars holiday special on the internet and said, "What? What? The, what? What is this? How did we not know about this?" And then they watched it. And they <laughs> said, "How could you betray us this way, George?" <laughs> and so George, you know, legitimately freaked out and tried to get, you know, get all the copies of it destroyed. And, and of course, when you do that, that just, it's like, you it know, scratching a scab, it, it yeah. makes it worse. And, uh, um, and then, of course, he made three more, four more, five more Star Wars movies. Every time he does one, it comes up again. So uh, it's never going to go away. And George's, you know, attitude is, it's like uh, Tevye when his daughter marries the Gentile. You're dead to me. <laughs> leave ru- leave the shuttle. And it's the same thing. George is like, you know, don't talk to me about this. This show is dead to me. So I say all that because uh, uh, sometimes, you know, especially guys your age, a- approach it like, how did this happen? And, you know, I mean, did what were you thinking? And all that kind of, we weren't thinking. We were making a dumbass TV special from a dumbass movie. That was the attitude back then. And we were also <laughs> all obviously cokeheads. So what did we know? Naturally. Well, I like, and that's where I think a lot of the, like the emphasis on how could you let your baby become such like where a lot of the haters are coming from. Star Wars at that time was, as you say, <laughs> just like it, it was, a great it was a good movie sure it was entertaining it was fun but it wasn't this cult it wasn't this religion there was no there was no i love when they say where does it sit in the canon (laughs) i mean like there is a canon i mean the only the only element of it that is from the canon is bubba fett because bubba fett went on and life day i suppose which george invented for the special or he actually he had he'd written he told me he'd written 10 stories and he was going to film six of them. And four of the others, he let out to other places. There's a novel that came out back then. I think A Moat in God's Eye, it may have been the title. Okay. It was a Star Wars novel. And uh, this was the last thing. And he and he sold this to CBS as a promotional vehicle to tide things over until the Empire movie came out, to, keep, to stir the pot. And I, I think two things. I think uh, he, he felt that he was giving them an original musical that they would they would do something with, an idea for an original musical. He didn't know about variety specials. He didn't know from, you know, Sonny and Cher, and he didn't know from uh, Cole Porter in Paris with Connie Stevens. He didn't know from Raquel Welch singing and dancing and being shot out of a cannon. That was not his work. <laughs> <Raquel> <laughs> that not his. She, I <laughs> she's a mover her arms when she, when she dances. 
Yeah, she doesn't. She had a Vegas act too. It was fabulous. Uh, and the Muppets. The Muppets were the guests on the special. Yeah. That's true. And, and, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, and they like feeling her up. That was my favorite thing. And that was a great big fight with a network censor. You get it. You can't have the Muppet grab her tip. I said, the Muppet doesn't know it's a tip. The Muppet's just touching her. Well, he can't touch her there. This was an actual conversation. <laughs> oh, what a time. So, oh, take me back. Swear, take so me Star back. Wars, the hot Star Wars Holly special special fits right in. Right. It, there's a cannon for you. Network yes. TV variety show. So George didn't know about this stuff. He thought he was selling us an original uh, idea for a musical. And But you would think if he was going to sell anybody an original idea for a musical, it would not star uh, as central characters uh, creatures who could not sing, speak, <laughs> dance, or do anything but sound like fat people having orgasms. You know. <laughs> Trust me, I know. <laughs> Now, as far as the story itself, how much freedom were you as the writers given? Were you given like a frame to kind of hang your hat we were given a, We were given an outline. Okay. And uh, the first thing we had to do was plug in entertainment value, what they called the entertainment sections. We had to find places where we could put in guest stars and numbers. Tick those boxes, yeah. Right, tick those boxes. So... Uh, there was a lot of people watching TV. Mala was watching a cooking show, so we could do Julia Child with Harvey Corman. Yeah, the four arms. Uh, right. Uh, we, uh, and oh, here's my favorite. This, uh, this same reviewer who talked about Cokehead Valanche um, said, uh, and he had Harvey Corman in blackface. <laughs> and I said, what? What are you talking about? Come on. Blackface? First of all, it's not... He's not. He's a non-human. His four arms. He is. He is <laughs> a creature arms. from another planet, and it's not even black. It looked black on my TV. The guy said when I wrote him about it. I said, "You can't make these spurious claims. What's the matter with you?" Jesus, that's libel. Said, and, and Harvey's been dead for years. Why are you spitting on his grave with this idiocy? Anyway, so I won that round. Yeah, but but. Um, uh, so and then we had we put in Diane Carroll as a fantasy of the old uh, the silverback uh, grandpa Wookie uh, because that was supposed to be Cher but she backed out and Diane no way stepped in with, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, Diane uh, came in and she was wonderful she's so elegant and classy and you know and I said uh, it was the first uh, inter interspecies interracial romance on network television. Where's my NAACP image award? <laughs> I used to joke with Diane, when are we getting that award for that groundbreaking moment that we did? Oh, it's, that it's was a Star Wars special. That was historic. <laughs> Where you and a Wookiee were having a moment. <laughs> and then uh, we had the kid playing with something, and that was how we got uh, the Cirque du Soleil to do their first television thing. Yep. coming in, and, did their, and then we had later on the kid watches Jefferson Starship. So there were we kept finding spots where we could stick entertainment numbers. And then, of course, when they go to Tatooine to the cantina, there's B. B, Arthur, of course. B, yeah, B is running the joint. And she insisted on doing a number. That was her deal breaker. Because B, you know, was a Broadway musical comedy actress. She had been the original Yenta the Matchmaker in Fiddler on the Roof. Okay. And she had won a Tony for doing Mame for playing Angela Lansbury's sidekick. And uh, at the time, she was Maud, which was a big TV show but non-musical. And but so she was a huge name. 
And uh, but she wanted to remind people that she had these musical comedy chops. She had the pipes. She had the pipes. So she brought in a song by Kurt, Kurt Weil and Bertolt Brecht, the Alabama song. You may know it because Frank Zappa and uh, and Mothers of Invention did. Oh, show me the way to the next whiskey bar. Oh, don't ask why. <laughs> and that was going to be and you'll be sings everything in the basement down there, and. Uh, and uh, we had to clear it with Bertolt Brecht's estate, who said no. He didn't write this, so it should be in some space canteen of fantasy. You know, he wrote this as social commentary. So, Ken and Missy Welch, who uh, wrote a lot of stuff for the Carol Burnett show, were writers on this, and they wrote her a song that sounded a lot like the Alabama song, and sort of kind of like uh, Midnight, uh, what the Moscow song, uh, those were the days, my friends, we thought they'd never end. Da, 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 da. It's not that, but it sounds like that a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and But it was, you know, Chad, it was very hearty and very, be, you know, be in her Statue of Liberty period. Just oh, down. yeah, yep. And, Pretty golden uh, girls, and with, but... Uh, surrounded yeah. by all of these aliens, by all these dime story, <laughs> these, these remainder aliens, because we couldn't get the original ones and... He wouldn't. He, he wouldn't let anybody use the ones from Empire. So we had to get whatever we we could scrape up. Yeah, blow the dust off of you know whatever was laying around in the Muppets workshop was, and uh, a couple of the prototypes there. that were <laughs> maybe scratched up. It, but. Was, it was a riot. And we had a couple of recyclers, you know, with pouring, serving them by pouring the the, the beer down in the head. Yes, and that. the cone, uh, the beehive, but kind of with That's a funnel right. in it, basically. I'll finish my drink. Pours it in the top <laughs> That's of his right. head. Certainly, yeah. yeah. Uh, now, what about, I want to talk about you, the person, when this came out and you started seeing maybe some of this negativity around it. How did you feel? Did you feel like like hurt by it? Or did you, were you? Were you... you know, it, it aired the weekend before Thanksgiving and uh, it got a, a decent number. It didn't get, a, it didn't go through the roof. And and it got some good some reviews that said this is ridiculous, and a lot of reviews that said this is just really crap. But that wasn't unusual for that genre. I mean, there were there were, and I don't think anybody was expecting it to be Marishnikov on Broadway. Star Wars you know, wasn't or, the brand yet. It wasn't like right. the, this it, worldwide it phenomenon. Exactly right. Right. It was just it a was, really good right. movie. So it was just isn't this curious how they're trying to take advantage of it? And the joke, of course, was. It was George who was trying to, you know, stir the pot. He wanted to keep things going. It wasn't, I mean, the network recognized that they had a built-in brand that would attract a, a certain audience. And, uh, uh, but it wasn't like anybody was, you know, jumping up and down to do it. So it, uh, uh, so, I mean, we went on, I went on from that to another thing. It wasn't, you know, there, there were, I, I did a lot of, I'm writing a book now about how I wrote the worst shows in television history and lived. Yeah, yeah, well, I was going to say, yeah, you're the Brady Bunch awesome. Variety Hour and uh, right. the call-in Halloween special. and I mean, I have a whole litany of, of fabulous pieces of shit that I wrote that uh, that I'm writing a book about. So here's to me. Some of the shiniest turds in Hollywood <laughs> there for you, then. Maybe that's the name of the book. <laughs> no, but I was going to say, your, your career... All the same turds, but that just sounds so J-Classy. <laughs> Well, if you've listened to any two Star Wars audiobooks, chances are that Mark has narrated at least one of them. He has around 49 Star Wars titles, not counting, uh, oh, sorry, and counting, and what looks like a dozen or so, perhaps more audiobooks on top of those Star Wars ones. And he may be the only person who can speak Shrewook better than me. 
please welcome <laughs> the amazingly talented Mark Thompson. Mark, how are you today? Hey, I'm doing great. That's a, that's a high bar, though, you're setting up. I don't know if I can speak Shriwook. Well, you. It, well yeah, you at least got the sound effects down, Pat, because uh, uh, yeah. I'm not having, you know, I'm not ordering a coffee in Shriwook or anything. However, uh, okay. uh, it's, uh, it's, it, I can get the grumbles down, Pat, there. So, but yeah, yeah. We'll, uh, we'll save that for later. But uh, yeah, again, thank you so okay. much for joining us today. Um, yeah, we're, we're just grateful to have you on. Oh, thanks yeah. for having me. It's uh, it's an honor to come on and talk about Star Wars. Yeah, yeah. So, hey, hey Mark, it's Andy. I didn't, th- I don't think I introduced myself before we we got going. Uh, I'm Andy. It's nice hey, to meet you. You too. Um, we're just curious, like, so Star Wars. I mean, we're all big Star Wars fans. This is a Star Wars podcast. How did you get involved in the narration game with Star Wars? Like, what was the process like? What, like, how did that all come about? Yeah. So, um, I had been doing animation for quite a while. Um, and my agent called and, and said, well, have you ever done an audiobook?" And, and I was kind of like, no, not really. And I was c- kind of trying to talk myself or talk her out of it. Cause I wasn't, <laughs> I hate to admit this, but I wasn't much of a reader. Like I don't, I didn't like read a lot growing up or whatever. And it just seemed like a lot of work to me. <laughs> so, right. Um, so <laughs> I was kind of trying to like not show a lot of interest, but then she was like, well, what about like, uh, would you be interested in doing a star Wars audiobook?" And I was like, Whoa, Whoa, yeah. Uh, hold on. Yes, yes, yes. yes. You know? <laughs> um, so then I just really was like, Oh my goodness, this is awesome. And, uh, I, they, they gave me like three pages of it and they said, you know, prepare this and you're going to come in and audition. And, and so I like kind of just read it like crazy and I kind of got some of the character voices together and I like prayed. I was like, God, let me get this, you know? And, uh, <laughs> so then I, I walked in and, uh, I, I did it and I, I think they, you could ask Kevin Thompson. He's the director of pretty much all of the star Wars books. Um, and I think, I think he would probably say like, I got it. Cause I could, I could emulate a lot of those voices. And I think my animation and mimic, uh, background kind of helped with that. Um, but then having to learn how to, you know, narrate the entire book and make it make sense was something I had to learn on the fly and on the job. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, there was a bit of a learning curve, but, uh, but it's now, it's now one of my favorite things. Like it's, it's, I actually really love, uh, reading the book and, and narrating the whole thing now. But, uh, initially it was, it was definitely really, really challenging and, and took a lot to get acclimated to. Um, so, you know, you've had a part, you've had a chance to be part of like the legends, um, era. And that's like a, has a really soft spot in a lot of fans' hearts and mm. fans really love it. Oh, yeah. Um, do you have any like favorite novels or story arcs that you had got to be a part of or oh, yeah. just in general? Um, so I was really lucky because I got to do two big kind of nine book story arcs when that, I was first starting out. Yep. Um, and, and it was kind of like basically like what happened to like Luke and Mara's kids and like, and, and Han and Leia's kids. And like, it was just, it was these epic, epic stories. And so I, I really like like the, I think it's called legacy of the force and, and fate of the Jedi yeah. were kind of the name of the arcs. So th- those all kind of blend together for me, but I, I, uh, so I, but I really liked fate of the Jedi. Like I, re- I really liked kind of that mm-hmm. arc and some of the things that were going on in there. And there, there was, I, I should have looked this up. Uh, to remember, but there was this group of aliens that were kind of Yuzhan Vong. Well, there's that. I, I didn't was get that to different Yuzhan Vong. Yeah, I, I that was before me. Okay, 
but um, there was uh, this al- this group of aliens that were force users, but they were kind of like what the Bendu is on Rebels. It's it was this group of aliens that didn't necessarily subscribe to the idea of the light and the dark, but kind of like we're trying to examine both sides or kind of be this gray in the middle thing. And and Luke went to them to try to learn some stuff about the force that he wasn't learning yet. And so that was, and they, they like would like, they had like the, the, this tongue and they would like, the way they communicated was like kind of like yeah, using their okay. tongue to like taste things or whatever. And it was like really, it was very like, it was really, really deep sci-fi, like weird stuff. And I loved it. it That's was really when Luke, cool. and, uh, Luke and Ben <laughs> go on their mission, yes, right? Yes, 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 yeah, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're That's, like, there's like dead people in the water and yeah, like this it weird vision quest. It becomes kind of this kind of, uh, yeah. it's almost like the Harry Potter when him and Dumbledore go to that uh, yeah. uh fortress there whatever yeah, I don't part know the that name one was. either yeah but uh yeah that was that was kind of great and that's where that's how i first got to know you and like how i just started to oh wow. appreciate what you did uh you, you essentially <laughs> helped me train my dog because i used to take nice long walks with my puppy and i i figured out how do you how to download from the library's audiobook oh, profiles yeah. to get the entire uh and i started with uh it was the fate of the jedi the whole jason solo arc yes and his fall or no it's not even really a fall. It's like he makes becoming a Sith make sense right. in a weird way. He does it from yeah. like, a, like a heartfelt, very yeah. like empathetic point. You, you get why he does it. And he's got these, his own secrets as to why he can't necessarily reveal why, mm. uh, why he's doing what he's doing. Yeah. But then he just gets kind of sucked into it. And it's like a compelling, like, it's like, man, I, I don't blame you, man. You're, yeah. <laughs> you're going to do anything. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, and, and just the way you pulled everyone through that story arc itself like those uh, 18 books of yeah. those two storylines were just uh, absolutely phenomenal and uh, were, were really how I got hooked on on you as a as a how I became a fan of yours for sure oh wow that's just, cool. so I highly highly recommend although they're not canon they should be yeah they're great stories though they're really fun they are fantastic they still hold up these days and I'm sure that uh, that old Mr. Filoni and Favreau will be borrowing heavily in the years to come from <laughs> uh, some of those story arcs hopefully <laughs> Now, being as big of a fan as you are, do you sometimes feel spoiled? And I don't, and I mean like spoilers coming, like you oh, don't get to oh, see oh. it on film first before you get to see, right? like, like <laughs> how do you handle that? Are you very excited to like get that? Like, would you open the present before Christmas kind of thing and be okay with that? Or <laughs> Yeah, I mean, so the, I, I, Fortunately, only really had to deal with that once, uh, and it was with Force Awakens. Mm-hmm. And uh, they asked me to do the novelization, and Kevin knew, like you know, that I might have opinions about being spoiled. And so he asked me ahead of time. He's like, "Hey, look, if they if they ask you to do this, are you going to be okay knowing you know uh-huh. months ahead of time?" And and I I. He texted that to me or something, and I I looked at my wife and I was like, I don't know, because like, <laughs> you know, like I like I've been waiting like years for this movie to come out, and I'm so excited to see it. And I want to have that opening night experience, and is it going to ruin the movie? And she was like, Are you crazy? Like, <laughs> of course you should do the book. Like, you know, like if you got hired to be in the movie, wouldn't you say yes to being in the movie? We wouldn't care about spoilers. Uh, I was like, I thought oh, you were right, going to say yeah. hey, we have kids to feed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what do you? Well, there was that too. Yeah, yeah. I could just. So then, so, <laughs> oh, sorry. 
oh no it's just she she was obviously right and you know so <laughs> just picture you like just like luke standing on the mound looking at twin sunsets <laughs> brooding as to whether or not you want to take right. on this monster Make the ultimate decision yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> so i mean it was you know so i i do remember and it was for that one it was crazy because like I, they I, I wasn't allowed to read it at my house i had to go to uh, wow penguin random houses uh offices they locked me in a room. Armed guards. They disconnected <laughs> the computer from the internet, so like no, I couldn't do anything like that. Oh wow! Um, and then anytime I had to go to the bathroom, they locked the door behind me to make sure no one was going in there. Um, and I remember like you know reading, and, and you get to the point where like Kylo, you know, spoiler kills. <laughs> mom, you know, wait, and what? I'm, yeah, yeah. Sorry, <laughs> oh, sorry. Oh no! <laughs> Why did you do this to me? <laughs> um, but I got a little teary, you know, so I'm sitting in this room all by myself. I was like, huh, yeah. no, you know, oh boy. um, yeah. So, but, so, but then what it, what, what it did for opening night for me was I still enjoyed opening night, but for, instead of like, like enjoying the story for the first time, it was like me looking to my right and left, like, okay, how are they going to react now? Like, you know, <laughs> oh, here comes the lightsaber. It's going to go past him and go to her. What are they going to, you know, so I'm like, I'm like that, that made it its own special experience was kind of like, you know getting ready to see what the audience's reaction was going to be. So, so That's it was cool. still fun and I still enjoyed it, but but I do I think I prefer to not be spoiled. Like for Last Jedi, I had the option and I I chose they said, you know, we're we're going to record it uh that they, they for the le- other films they decided to do the novelizations after Yeah, release, it was a couple of months you know? later, wasn't it? Yeah, mm-hmm. so but but again, we recorded like the week of the movie coming out. So I I I said, "Look, I'll I promise I'll read the whole thing, but like, let me just see the movie opening night and then I'll read it. And they're yeah, like, yeah, okay, yeah. it's fine. So, oh, man, that's great. Well, and, well, that's good as well because with those novelizations, there's a lot of like the cut scenes. Yes. That weren't in the, um, uh, in the movies themselves. So that's another thing that I love about just listening to you narrate these stories again. There's like extra scenes that can add yeah. some context and make some other parts of the movies make more sense. They're just like, oh, that's why that happened. Oh, they yeah, had this yeah, interaction totally. that I don't remember that being in the movie, but uh, it just adds a lot, to, a lot of good depth to it for sure. So. Yeah, I, I, I feel like I, I love the sequels more than a lot of people just because I, because I got to read the novelizations and and I feel like those, a lot of those cut scenes or or extra scenes really helped understand some of the things that were going on in the sequels and it made me appreciate them even more. So I I really love them. We would love if you joined us in a game and we we would be remiss if we didn't, you know, get the stick and poke you a little bit and say, Hey, do (laughs) do the voice, do the voice. So we're going to, we're going to give you a couple characters. Okay. I have a, a bag of characters. Oh boy. And a a white felony hat full of scenes. (laughs) Not full. We'll do a couple. We won't, we won't make you burn your voice out for the weekend or anything. Okay. So I'll give you, what would you like first? The scene or the character? Uh, the character. Okay. Okay. Character number one is, oh, my favorite. Thrawn. Okay. Grand Admiral and that's just that's just that's just a hat full of Thrawn, isn't it? Yeah. Oh that was another point of contention. We don't have to go into it too much, but I liked the Mark 
Thompson version of Thrawn when you did the anniversary edition. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, that's what I envisioned as Thrawn. But I, yeah. I love like this silent, maniacal kind of Thrawn that you yes, became. Yeah. <laughs> However, I always env- envisioned him as this kind of like strong, brooding kind of character right. that yeah, yeah, yeah. you initially had for him as well before uh, uh, Mr. Skarsgård, I believe, came in. and uh, uh, Mickelson, yeah. Mickelson, sorry, Mickelson. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, uh, does it now, but uh, yes. So anyways, Grand Admiral Thrawn is... Asking for a quarter pounder, but no cheese. And will that affect the weight? <laughs> okay. So Grand Admiral Thrawn ordering a quarter pounder with no cheese. Okay. Chimera, full stop. Greetings, fast food window <laughs> operator. I would like one of your quarter pounder sandwiches. But listen to me closely. It is very important that there be no dairy project upon my burger. No cheese shall touch the meat. Do you understand? Also, will this affect the time? Excellent. While I'm waiting, I'll look at the art in your bathroom. <laughs> that was so wow. Good. wow. Take it to a whole other level. That, I got goosebumps from that. <laughs> Can that be the next Star Wars movie? Yeah. T- tell Tim. Let's see what he does. Hey, yeah. for sure. Get it in there. Okay. Okay. Next character. Oh. Oh. Han Solo. Okay. And Han Solo is. Telling the kids you brought pizza home. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, Chewy, Leia, where's Ben? I got the pepperoni and the sausage. Hey, hey, don't touch. I get the first slice. <laughs> Laugh it up, fuzzball. It's my pizza. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Uh, I'm down for that. Okay. <laughs> last one. Last one. Three. You, you, rule of comedy. Rule of three, right? So. Yeah. There we go. Okay. Number three. The third one. I have many more names in here, but we'll save that for the next interview there, Mark. Okay. Okay. Last but not least, we have Princess Leia. Oh, boy. And she is. She just got her credit card declined at the grocery store. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, I'm sorry. Do you know who you're talking to? I am the princess of Alderaan. I'm on a diplomatic mission, and I need these Oreos. How can you say I'm declined? You are on a counselor's mission, and don't try to tell me that your credit is not expired. <sighs> Wow, we even got some bonus characters there. We got more. Two for one. Wow, we're spoiled. We're spoiled. Her father's declining her own car. It's like her dad's taking away the car away. (laughs) Daddy. (laughs) Daddy. (laughs) Oh, amazing. Man, those guys rock. Oh, we got to get back into those uh, the interviews again. I promise, folks, we're going to do it. We're going to bring it back. I don't give a care. Uh, yeah, thank you again so much for tuning in. I hope you have a wonderful May the 4th. I hope a lot of really cool stuff came out today. I uh, can't wait to discuss it with the fellas uh, next week. I think next week. I think we're back. I know Ryan's away on a work trip, and Andy was getting his basement all done up. So, uh, you might just be me again. But probably not, though. Probably not. I think we got all of us. Anywho. 
Take care. Have a good one. Always be a Jedi in the streets and a Sith in the sheets. Good night, everybody. God, I always want to say that.